everyone. Grab your Bible, your journal, maybe even a cup of coffee. And I would like for you to write this down. James 5, verses 7 through 8. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains? You also be patient. Establish your heart, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Hey everyone, welcome to Write This Down with Dot Bowen. My name is Kara and I am Dot's daughter. And every week we sit down together and we talk through truths and scripture. And in this episode, we are finishing up a series going through the book of James. And we talk about actually a lot. We talk through patience and suffering and we talk a lot about prayer and what prayer looks like and doesn't look like and does it work or does it not work? So we're so glad that you're here and we would love for you to pull up a chair and listen in. Everyone, so excited that you're here and joining in our Kara and I. We're just talking about James and we're kind of finishing up James today. And I have really enjoyed it. James is an amazing book for believers because, you know, we get in our minds that we're supposed to be perfect and we're supposed to do all the right things, which James does address. But the fact that he has to address the issues lets us know that the Christians back then, the believers that we put in the Hall of Fame of being the who's who in the Christian world, we're dealing with so much of the same things that that we deal with. So even though James is in our face and he's talking about if you are a believer and if you say that you have faith, what are you doing about it? Mm -hmm. How are you living? How's your your life different if you have Mm -hmm. faith? And so it does kind of get into our world a little bit. And, you know, even the other day, we were talking about how I love to teach. And as we were writing and getting ready for the Write This Down workshop, and I was so excited about teaching. And then I turned to James, and our next chapter is talking about, hey, you who want to teach, be careful. Be careful what you teach and how the teachers are held to a higher standard. Yeah. It makes you want to sit back and think, hmm. When you know James was probably... I mean, I would imagine that he was preaching to the choir, you know, like mm-hmm. I would assume that he is saying these things, reminding himself as well. You know, he, I think he probably had a humble attitude and he probably was saying that. And at the same time, telling, reminding himself like, okay, James, you know, you're held to a higher standard with what you're saying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I love that about the letter because I feel like he is humble I do feel that way. I I don't think he comes across as, I know what I'm talking about because I'm perfect. But on the other hand, I think he doesn't shy away from encouraging and challenging Christians to be better. Right. And that certainly comes across. He talks about being careful what you say. He talks about, you know, warning against the worldliness and remember, always remember that Jesus is coming back to kind of live with an eternal perspective. And basically, that's kind of what James's five is today. He ends, he starts the letter that way and he ends the letter that way. And we do know as, as I've done a lot of studying on James five, getting ready for the podcast, there are a lot of scholars that believe that James starts out in chapter five to non-believers, that he warns the rich people but he's not talking to the believers. Now, it is very clear 
through the book of James that James talks about not looking at other people and knowing that they're wealthy and try to get in with them, like be best friends with the wealthy people because they can help you out. He talks about that. He talks about not having your mind set on these worldly things. But in chapter five, it's very important that we remember that he is talking to the lost person. And the reason we know this, and and I do agree with the Bible scholars, he says, Come now, you rich, you weep and you well for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. And in reality, to a believer, that would not happen. We would know that God did not want us to put a lot of emphasis on the wealth, and He doesn't want us to you know, seek riches above everything else. But what we do know is that the fact that Jesus is coming to some of us that are really looking for Jesus' return, we don't have to feel like Jesus is condemning us. He's coming after us. And so James, it says, you know, you rich people, you weep and you well because of the misery that is coming upon you. And so I think that that's why a lot of the Bible scholars believe that he's talking to the non-believers. And you're just, he's just talking to the non-believers in the first six verses of chapter five. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Not all the way through because we, he clearly starts talking about the prayer Mm -hmm. of faith and as believers and the righteous person who prays and how powerful that is. But he's definitely addressing these people that obviously was mixed among the believers and they were oppressing them. They were uh, taking their land. They were doing all kinds of things to these people. They were uh, murdering righteous people. If you look at verse 6 in chapter 5, it says, you have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. And so we kind of know that James is probably trying to encourage the believers by saying, you may be looking at these rich people, you may want what they have, but their end is coming. Their money's not going to do them any Mm -hmm. good when Jesus comes back. Mm -hmm. Like in other words, for the non-believer, misery is what's coming, but for the believer, everlasting life is coming. Right. And you may be suffering now. Right. And you may be suffering by the hands of these rich people that are taking advantage of you. But at the end of the day, when Jesus comes back, when it's all said and done, they're the ones that's going to pay for what what they've done. Which that would make sense. I never knew that about the beginning of chapter five. And that would make sense why he goes into talking about patience and suffering. Mm -hmm. It's really a theme in James. He starts out at the very beginning where it says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. And, you know, we talked about that at the very beginning, like... Wish he hadn't said that. And as we talked about it in chapter one, and when we discussed it more, James is not saying that you're so happy that you're going through a horrible time. But again, remember this. This is a theme of James. Don't look at what's going on around your world. Mm -hmm. You look and know that God is very much aware of what's going on in your world. And there's a higher purpose. There's a meaning. And God's watching and God's paying attention Mm -hmm. uh, to what's going on. He definitely has his children 
underneath his protection. And so as James ends this letter, he does address the non-believer. And then he begins immediately, as you are saying, Kara, it's only the first six verses. And then in chapter seven, he is like he takes a turn and he says, be patient, therefore, brothers. So you know that that's to a believer. Mm -hmm. And he said, until the coming of the Lord. And, you know, he says that horrible, horrible word. Wait. (laughs) Patience. Patience and waiting. You know, I used to say, I'd rather go to Africa without my makeup than to just have to sit and wait on God to do something. (laughs) It's so hard. And I like my makeup. And I like thinking that God is paying attention and that God is going to do something. But sometimes we have to wait on it. And it's not by mistake that James is saying, look at the harvest, look at the fruit of the earth, needs a little rain, but it needs a little patience. And he's saying to us to wait. Now, it comes right after he is addressing the non-believer that been oppressing and hurting the believers. Right. Well, I I would imagine that, I mean, we don't know exactly why, but I would imagine he uses the analogy of the farmer waiting for the fruit of the earth because with farming and harvesting a plant, you don't see Mm -mm. any fruit for a while. You don't really, you know, I guess depending on what it is, but for the most part, you don't really see the growth or the bloom or the sprout from the seed for a while. Right. And so that might be, you know, I would imagine that's why he would use that illustration to wait. It's because it looks like, and it seems like God may not be doing anything. It looks like the suffering that has been happening, you know, it may, it may seem like there's nothing happening under the soil. And that God's not doing anything or they've been abandoned, you know, and he's saying, be patient, establish your heart for the coming of the Lord is at hand. And he says, don't grumble against one another, brothers. Again, he's talking to the Christians so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. In other words, what James is saying, stop paying so much attention to what's going around you and keep your eyes on God. And I think that that's a very encouraging and hopeful thing that James is saying. He he never says you're not going to suffer. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, he says you are. And I think often when we suffer, we feel like God's abandoned us, Right. that God doesn't know what's going on. And I think that this is an encouragement because what James is saying to the Christians and to us as we're reading this is that God is at the door. There Mm -hmm. is going to be a time that God's going to take care of his children, whether Mm -hmm. it's here or in heaven. I've never seen the righteous forsaken. I've, I know that that's a verse. You know, I talk to a lot of people that have really been hurt by other Christians. And it looks like sometimes those Christians get by with it. But of course, we never know what's going on in their hearts. We don't know if they're miserable or not. But in reality, I don't think I've ever n- known of something that at some time the truth was not brought out. We've had several things that have happened that are terrible things that pastors have done to other people, children, girls, sexual abuse them. 
And it seems as if they just get more and more popular. They get more followers. Everybody thinks they're, they're heroes of the faith. They're these great, strong Christians. And before or even after their death, it comes out. The truth is out. Mm-hmm. The truth always and prevails. It does. And God does take care of his children. And God doesn't turn his back on sin. He doesn't turn his eyes away from someone hurting his children any more than any mother or father would if their child's, you know, been hurt. I mean, you don't even want to think what some of the thoughts I've thought about people that have hurt you. <laughs> I've had to repent over it over the years. And, you know, I'm just a mom and I'm not holy, but we do have a holy God. And God does not just turn his back toward the believer that has been abused or taken advantage of. God does step in, and mm-hmm. the truth is revealed, and God does take care of it. Yeah. When I think it's that key of the patience, you know, mm-hmm. waiting for God to vindicate you and letting God vindicate you. And yeah, and trusting that goes back to the faith, you know, mm-hmm. having faith in the goodness and, and the father-like heart of God. Because like you said, if we truly believe that he is a good father, then a good father would take care of their son. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's right. And speaking of, as we finished James, he talks about prayer. And I, I feel it just sits exactly where it needs to be in this letter. In the fact at the very end, because he talks about suffering from chapters one through five. And he at the very end, he says, if anyone among you is suffering... Let him pray. And the word for that suffering means if you're weak, if you're tired, if you're weary, if you're going through a hard time. It's the same word that Paul uses with his thorn in the flesh. Mm. He says, if any of you are suffering, let him pray. And I think that it goes with the theme as well. And the fact that, you know, Paul would pray and ask God to remove the thorn from him. And God said, no. And with the theme of, of James, it talks about Christians are going to suffer for what they believe in. Stand firm, not to give in to what the world is saying around them. Don't be like the world. Stand firm, be set apart, but you may suffer. And he says, but if anyone's cheerful, let him sing praise. And, you know, when we're talking about count it all joy, when you go through trials and, you know, he ends it, it's almost as if James is saying, if you misunderstood me, I'm not saying that you're supposed to be cheerful about all the stuff you're going through. But if you just take your eyes and know that God has got you, mm-hmm. God hasn't abandoned you, and He knows what's going on in your life, He's strengthening you, He's giving you the power to endure. If you know that, and you get through that, then and you're happy about it, and you God has given you a, a a cheerful heart and a right attitude. Then give God the praise, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden he con he does a contrast. Is anyone among you sick? And this is the part that so many people misunderstand. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over them, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. 
a lot of people think that they're sick because they are living in sin. Mm. But Jesus clearly taught against that. Remember mm-hmm. the man that was uh, blind and he said, who's sin? The parents. Mm-hmm. And he said, no right. one did. And so as you put things in context and you look at all of scripture and looked at the things that Jesus talked about, there were some things that happened because they sinned, but not all sickness is a result of the fact that someone has sinned. Right. And uh, he does say, if you are sick, this word, I, I looked it up. Of course, I couldn't pronounce it for anything because I don't know how to pronounce Greek words. But I did look it up. And this is a sickness that is almost at their deathbed. This isn't someone that's just kind of suffering a little bit. This is like drastic measures. And he says, I want you to call the elders of the church, and I want to put the anointing oil on them, which a lot of uh, people consider that as God's presence. But so many people think that it is the anointing oil and it is the elders or the minister that heals them. And it's not at all. It says the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, but that may not mean heal. Is that what you're... No, what that means is the prayer of the uh, faith. There were times when you believed in God and you felt like God was going to heal them, and they did. It doesn't mean that every prayer that was prayed in faith means that they would be healed here on earth. You know, I had a hard time with that when my dad was sick. I would say, God, just heal my dad, and I want to take him home. And I'm at Chattanooga. And I literally would pray, I just want to take him home because he was getting his treatment in in Atlanta. And he he went to be with Jesus. He went home, but it wasn't in Chattanooga. And I kept thinking, well, is there something I've done wrong? Is it I didn't have enough faith? And it really bothered me, and I become, to be honest, a little bitter toward God because I felt like I had done everything right that I should do about praying for my dad. And as far as I knew, there was no sin in my life. But as you see the life of Jesus, Jesus did heal a lot of people, but he didn't heal everybody. And he raised Lazarus from the dead, but Lazarus had to die again. Right. So, The fact that you may have faith and you pray, the righteous prayer and the prayer of faith may be where inside you are free, that you know that you've done everything that you can. You've trusted God to do this. And if God says no, then it is a prayer of surrender. That's what a prayer of faith is. Right. One, to go back when you said you had no sin in your life, it's the, there was no, like, obvious in that you're living in. Right. I mean, obviously, we're, no one's perfect. So it's that you are not intentionally... No sin that I was intentionally... Right. Living in rebellion or... Yeah. That's right. Because nobody's perfect, but right. Jesus. But I did not have any confessed sins that I was doing that I knew was wrong, but I was going to do it anyway. Right. And so as I looked at the very end of James, and as we were talking about prayer and how important prayer is and the power of prayer. The power of prayer comes because it's who we're praying to. And it's not the prayer that saves him, or it's not the prayer that heals this person. It's not the faith 
but it is the person we're praying to and the object of our faith. Mm. And that's where it really gets messed up. That's where a lot of people get discouraged with God. They don't trust Him uh, because they felt like they had faith and they've been told if you just had faith, if you just pray and ask God, He'll do it. But you have to look at the life of Jesus. Remember, we're a follower of Jesus. Jesus in Gethsemane had faith. Right. Jesus had not sinned. He was sinless. He was the only one is sinless. And he begged God to change his circumstances. And God said no. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like James is just pointing, it's pointing out your prayer is effective just as effective mm-hmm. as Elijah would be, but Elijah asked. And so it's that relationship of pray and ask, you know, like Jesus in Gethsemane, like he prayed and he asked God. I mean, I Jesus knew the answer, but when you're in that relationship, he still asked. And it's not that his prayer, Jesus's prayer was not effective, just as much as, you know, Elijah's prayer is effective or isn't effective. That's right, because God has a plan and God has a purpose for our lives. And even though we may not understand why someone gets healed, they are healed, they call the pastor, they pray over them, and God heals them. And then there are people where they call the pastor, they call people that uh, are the elders of the church, they anoint them with oil, and they go and be with Jesus. They're still healed. They're just not here. And I think that one of the things that, I really think about often when I think about this is David and Bathsheba. You remember when his their son was sick and was you know he didn't eat and he sat there mm-hmm. and he prayed and begged God to heal his son. And then when the people around him saw how David was just mourning and and grieving and lamenting to God to heal his son, they were scared to tell him that his son had died. And when they did, though, David gets up, washes his face, you know, gets ready, and they say, I don't understand. You've been so much in grief, and you're mourning, and you haven't eaten, and you haven't taken care of yourself. And now that he's dead, you're just going on with life. And I've thought about that so many times, and I think it's the message of you ask, you beg God, you cry, you plead, you do everything you can, uh, be honest and real before God. But when the answer comes, whether it's yes or no, you embrace it. And it's hard. Right. And I don't think that that means, I'm sure David was sad about his son. That doesn't mean his emotions were turned off. It's that, okay, this is the answer. And I'm sure David cried about his son. Again, I'm sure he was sad and felt that heartbreak. I mean, you don't lose a child and get over it. But I think, yeah, it's like what you're saying is he didn't turn off his emotions like, okay, I'm fine with it. But he was probably still like, I'm still heartbroken and devastated, but this is your answer. Mm -hmm. And I will continue. And and I will embrace it. Mm -hmm. I, I have to go with it. You know, we have to either go with what God's perfect plan is, or we go with what we plan. And, and there's such a tension there, and it's very difficult mm-hmm. to want God's will above ours. The hardest and most difficult prayer you will ever pray, and I've said it once, I've said it a million times, will be, your will be done. And I think that when 
Jesus ends his prayer in Gethsemane. Your will be done. Let this cup pass from me, but okay, your will be done. He gets up. He says to the disciples, hey, come on, they're coming after me. He knew. When David found out that God was not going to heal his son, he said to the people around him, okay, let's go on. God has a purpose and he has a plan. And I got to move on and I have to live the life that God has asked me to live. And I think that that's where James is wanting to say, you're going to deal with suffering. You're going to deal with sickness. You're going to deal with difficult people. Keep your eyes on God. God has a plan. He has a purpose. And keep your focus on that life isn't about this world right here. It's so hard to live with an eternal perspective, thinking that, you know, one of these days we will be with Jesus. One of these days we'll understand some things that we don't understand. One of these days God's going to take care of the people that have hurt us. One of these days life's going to be better when we're in heaven. This isn't, you know, heaven. Because today most of us deal with living for the moment. Most of us is just trying to get through the day. Yeah, I think I just you know even just saw the connection between how James says the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. I think that also implies like as it is working just as much mm-hmm. as as the fruit is being sown into the soil with the patience, you know, like there's right. an element of patience. I mean, sometimes we see the answer pretty quickly, but sometimes it's it is praying and having the faith that one, your prayers are effective and two, God hears you and is working and it's being that stead, it's being steadfast and patience and trusting mm-hmm. that it is quote unquote working and that God hears and is doing something. And I believe he answers every prayer as soon as we pray it. We just don't see the manifestation of it sometimes, you know, immediately at times. And so it is that tilling the soil. Yes. And I think that patient and being waiting, waiting whether or not God's going to answer it here or waiting till we see the whole reason and the purpose of how it is. You know, we see God sometimes when we're looking back at things and thought, oh, that's why God did that. And when we're going through those things, we don't see God sometimes in it. We just can't imagine God being in it. But we look back and we, and we know that, oh, that's why God didn't answer that prayer like that. So that is that waiting to see what God's going to do. And if we don't see that immediately or even, you know, long time afterwards, we can live with the hope that we know that God always gives the best to those who leave the choice up to Him. I remember Dr. Stanley saying that one time when we were going to First Baptist. He would say that over and over again. God always gives the best to those who leaves the choice up to him. And I think that that's where we're going to have to land. I think that's where James is landing. He's not denying that they're going to be going through hard times. He's never denied that there won't be any suffering. He's never denied that they will not feel abandoned by God. He never denies that they will not be mistreated. But he's saying to them, wait on God. You don't know what God's doing. And Pray, ask God to remove the circumstances, ask God to remove your thorn, ask God to heal you, ask God to heal the people that you love. But at the end of the day, 
There is a God who loves you and a God that cares. And he has a plan and a purpose for us, our lives. And somehow all of this suffering plays a part in what God is doing in and through us. It's hard. It's difficult. But our hope is that this is not our final destination. We're just passing through. And that we can look way ahead and know that the one who loves us more than we can ever imagine, the one who feels our pain and knows about our suffering, is waiting with scarred hands and saying the best is yet to come. Thanks for listening. I'm so glad that you could be a part of our conversation. To continue the conversation, you can find Dot on social media at Dot Bowen or visit her website, DotBowen.com. Subscribe, like, and share with your friends, and we will see you next week on Write This Down with Dot Bowen. Mm -hmm.